so glad you're here. It's so important that we do these things and understand our role and what God's called us into. As parents, as a church, and as individuals, God has called us to do these things for his purpose and his glory. Church, I want to share with you um, that God has challenged us with a message today that will make you uncomfortable. (laughs) But we need to be uncomfortable. We need to hear truth. And um, we're a culture today that doesn't want anybody uncomfortable. And we want everybody to be okay with who they are and where they are. And I want you to know God's not okay with where we were. He's not okay with where we are. And Jesus came to die to change the direction of our lives so that we could find our way and know who he is to the fullness. And what God wants to do is change us. He's not okay with just leaving us where we are. And I'm glad. I don't want to stay where I am in my life. I want to continue to grow, transform, and become what God died to make me. Church, our culture is a mess. Nobody has to tell us this. We know it. There's so much brokenness. And then we come together and we try and have a relationship. And so here we are trying to understand a relationship. We call it love. And so we pursue someone in the idea of love. We come as broken products from broken homes, dysfunction. By and large, the vast majority of our homes have been broken and dysfunctional. We pursue someone, we engage in a relationship with them, and we are desiring to find that that will content us and make us happy. And we bring into this relationship our brokenness, expecting that other person to fix me. And they bring their brokenness the same way. We find ourselves in this turmoil of dysfunction. And this is, by and large, the description of the family unit in our day. And as we seek to want to walk with God, to change, to see our families and our life change, and to see all these things come together, God has called us into something that is so much better, so much greater than what we are experiencing. And we are walking in this brokenness, and God is trying to lead us into wholeness. And so in order for us to find this place that God has for us, we must establish the truth of what God says and align our lives according to what the Word of God calls me into. I cannot allow culture to dictate who I am. I cannot allow them to describe what my relationship should be. They don't know. They are broken. As I come to the Father, the true Father, and I seek Him. He tells me in His promise of His Word that now I look for Him with all my heart, I'll find Him. He is not the absent Father. He is the present Father. And He is the one that wants to make us whole so that we can experience life to the full. Now church, we must begin this process through the understanding of brokenness. And the only way to heal brokenness is through confession. So we must confess first and foremost that there is confusion about the role of a man and a woman in our culture. There is confusion about what a mom and dad family unit looks like. There's confusion. 
Look, I, I want you to hear me, church, because it's not just confusion in culture. It's confusion in the church. There is confusion everywhere about what that looks like and what that means. We have to confess that there is confusion on what it means to live in a biblical relationship as a man and a woman, as a husband and a wife. There is confusion. That confusion exists in culture. It exists in the church. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to confess that God himself is the only one that can transform us in order to allow us and give us the strength we need to align with what God says that a man is and what a woman is. And the only way that we can accomplish that is through him because in sin there is brokenness. And in sin I have lost my identity for I was made in the image of God. Therefore sin robbed me of who I am. And because I've lost who I am, I am pursuing it, trying to find my identity. And in culture, identity is found in what you have, what you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished, and what people think you are. And all of that is empty. And so we're pursuing this identity in the world, not finding the answer, but finding emptiness at the end of every one of those roads. Therefore, we pursue this relationship and we do not find ourselves. Therefore, we pursue that relationship and that relationship. And we continue to pursue stuff, things, something to satisfy me. And that is the very drive of sin. Our identity is found in Christ by the Father. And so we must confess, church, that we are broken, we are lost, and God is the only one that can find and help us to know who we are and what we are supposed to be through His power and grace. We also must confess that there are those that God intends to live a single life. There are those who have, been made, have made that decision to remain single and commitment themselves to Christ. That is a real position, a real call. The Roman Catholic Church has made that uh, a mandatory to their clergy, their priests, and their nuns. That's not biblical. I'm just telling, I'm not bashing the Catholic Church. Listen, people, we've got to get back to what God says. The church mandated that of people. God didn't call them to that. That's why they have the mess they do. Come on. I mean, let's look at what God's word says to us. Jesus himself is talking about marriage and divorce. And the, the leaders of the church come up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, is it okay to divorce my wife? Can I just get rid of her, write a note, send her on her way? Jesus says, No. That's not the way it was from the beginning. God himself intended for one man and one woman to spend their lives together till death. That's God's plan. So they say, well, how come Moses allowed us to write a, a note of divorce? And Jesus said, it's because of your unwillingness to forgive. And the only way that you can get a divorce is if someone is unfaithful, commits adultery in that relationship. That's the only escape clause in the covenant that God allows. But even in that, he doesn't want that. He wants forgiveness and restoration. I want you to know that's what God's word says. Okay? All right. Now, 
I already know right now that within the congregation of people right here that the vast majority of married people have had other spouses first. I know that. This has become culturally normal. And it's become acceptable. God's word says that he hates divorce. He doesn't hate the divorced. Don't misinterpret what God says. He says, I hate divorce. Why does he hate divorce? Because it's a product of sin. It's a product of unforgiveness. It's a a product of brokenness. It's a product of self-pleasure over commitment. God hates divorce because it destroys, it damages, it breaks. Come on. Everybody knows that. So God says, I hate it. I'm all about healing and wholeness and, and forgiveness and restoration. That's what God's all about. Of course he hates divorce. It is all about the other. But here we sit in the midst of a culture that is absolutely normal to be divorced. Therefore, the church itself has adopted an acceptance that it's just normal to be a divorced. We don't even say, hey, if you are divorced, you know that you need to repent and ask God to forgive you. You have broken a covenant. Do you know that, church? You need God's forgiveness for that. You broke a covenant. It's not okay. You can blame the other spouse. You can. But you need to forgive. And you need forgiveness. Now, as we sit here today in this relationship, God's not saying you need to go back to the very first one you married. Don't be stupid. Okay? He's not saying that, nor am I. What God is calling us to is to build a foundation on God's word, God's principles, God's guidelines, and build it from here on out. So whoever you're with in the marriage covenant, and you are here today as a child of God, you need to begin to build that relationship from here forward on God's principles, not what culture has taught you, not what you think, what God says. So we're going from here forward, okay? All right. So now, when we look in the Word of God, Jesus is teaching this thing on divorce, and he says, some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. That means they were castrated, or they didn't have the ability to be reproduced or anything, just in case you don't know what that means. And some choose not to be married for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So Jesus says, there's some people who have committed themselves to singleness. Some were born with an ability to have relationship, and they choose to live single that way. Whatever the cause may be, whether you say, I'm just fully committed to God and I don't want to get married, whatever that is, you need to accept your place and that is your purpose in life and live it. It's okay. Being single is fine. It's totally okay. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, I'm recommending this to y'all. If you can live single, do it. Because when you're single, you can have 100% devotion to God. When you're married, you can't do that. You're committed to God, but you have responsibility with your spouse and family. And so he said, if you can stay single and it doesn't like mess you up and you're not having problems sexually, he says, stay single and live for God. But if you can't live single and stay celibate and do things right, then get married. That's, I mean, it's just common sense. He's just telling us, all right, okay. Everybody's going to get real nervous in a little while because we're going to get really <laughs> into this thing for a minute, okay? So I'm not, I, want, I want single people to know the Word of God is for you today. What you're hearing is not just for married people. 
And there's stuff for men and women both in this and single and married people and yet to be married people and previously married people. It's God's word. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. So because the majority of people do get married, I'm going to focus God's word and the message that he has for us on that relationship. Understanding that the vast majority of us are dysfunctional and messed up. We were raised that way. I'm not blaming our parents. I'm saying our entire culture has so screwed up the marriage relationship and the family unit that it's like hard to be normal. And what is normal? It's whatever you were raised like. So now we have to look at what God says to us is right, not just normal, and begin to build our lives upon God's principles of what a relationship looks like. Today, what we want to do is start building a foundation from this very moment in our lives forward. So as we do, let's go back to this relationship that we were speaking about for the past few weeks in the very beginning when God started all of this. And it's found in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Isn't that awesome? In all of God's creation, remember God made Adam. All the animals, everything on earth. And Adam was out there naming all these animals and doing all this stuff. And God's like, it's not good for that guy to be alone, man. He needs something. I'm going to make someone just right for him. Man, I love that. Just right. Guys, marriage is not a ball and chain. It's not prison. It's not like, oh, no. It's like we all have these parties. Let's go live it up and have a, a bachelor party and let's like party and live wild because pretty soon you're going to have to be with her. I mean, God says, guys, it's not okay for you to be over there. You're messed up. I'm going to make someone that's just right for you that you need. Come on. That's what you need. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he'd call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So before I read the next statement, pause and think about this. The word of God says that he formed all the animals out of the dirt. The word of God says that he formed man out of the dirt. The difference between man and animal was that God said he breathed into man and he became a living soul for we were made in his likeness and his image. Okay? Now here's something really cool. God could have made the woman out of dirt. He didn't. He said, Adam, go to sleep. I'm going to make her from you. Unique in all of creation was the woman. Different than everything else that God made. That is amazing. It's, God could have made her from the dirt. But listen, he didn't make her as a separate creation. He made her of. Man, 
wow, God, you do have this figured out. That's crazy. Of, made of the man, part of. He is incomplete without her, just right, part of. Now, wake up, Adam. Comes awake. At last! Can you see his eyes? Come on, guys, you've had that look in your eyes. <laughs> the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bones, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. Man, there is like some powerful stuff here. Man, Adam is saying, This is not some separate creation, this is not some being. This is me. This is me. Standing before me is part of me, and now it is me. Well, man, here we are. Cool stuff, man. This one is bone of my bones, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Why? Church? Because the kids are separate beings whom God intends to make one with someone else. The reason why we have the baby dedication today is to let all of you know they're only yours for a blip. And soon they're gone because they were made for someone else, not you. Come on. You have a responsibility from God as a parent, father and mother. Don't misunderstand me, and I don't mean to offend anyone when I say this, but the way the culture has treated it today is, is males are walking sperm banks. Females use them to get a child they want for their life to be complete. And the Word of God says that a child is yours for a season, but you are to be united to that one individual for life. Man, we've lost it. We've screwed it up. It's not a baby daddy. It's a father. Come on. Look, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not. I'm looking at what God says and I'm saying, look how we have screwed this up so bad. Why do we think that we can create a better plan than God's? Why would we ever think that we'll do it right? My parents screwed it up. I'll do this the right way. Let me raise my child the way I see I need to. Come on, man. You're a product of that mess. We need God. And we need to start by understanding what God says. So when we look at this relationship, God created and intended, God created for the man and the woman to be united as one. It's obvious right here in the scriptures when it comes. He says, she's part of me, and God says, you are one. God said, you are now one. In this relationship, prior to sin ever entering the world, God intended for the male and the female to have sex. There's that three-letter word that you're not supposed to say in church, and uh, it's God's creation. Okay? The problem is, is the church hasn't talked about that three-letter word. We haven't taught our kids what that means. We haven't taught husbands and wives what that means. 
And so instead, what we've learned is the world's version of that three-letter word called sex. And the world has taught us that sex equals love. And that is wrong. No, because the world is talking to us about what meets my needs. And so if you are nothing more than a pleasure to my sexual needs, there is no love involved. We're going to learn that as we go through Scripture. I want you to hear me because, see, sex, love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment. Okay, let's see what God's telling us right here. God created and intended the man and the woman to be united as one, having a physical relationship called sex. We have not completely understood what sex is, actually, and the reason we haven't is because we have not heard, learned, or taught, or been taught that sex is actually spiritual, too. It's spiritual. See, when God brought the man and the woman together and he said they should be one, he said there's something about this physical relationship that will bring you together in union like no other. And God's a part of it. And so when God's a part of it, it's automatically spiritual, not physical. And what we have made it in our culture is all physical and zero spiritual. And because we in the church have learned it from culture, we don't see it as spiritual. But the Bible teaches us that sex is spiritual. And, and we're completely lost in this. We, we're like, what do you mean that it's spiritual? Well, there is a spiritual event that happens every time you engage in sexual activity. Church, it's biblical. 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! Come on, man. It's God's Word. And don't you realize... But if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? I'm not married to her. I'm not committed to her. We don't have a thing. God says, yes, you do. You just became one. You committed not only a physical act, but a spiritual union. Something's wrong. And this is what he's telling us. He's like, wait a minute. You think you can take God's body and just give it to anybody? See, culture says you can. Yeah, go do it, man. I mean, it's all about your pleasure and how you feel anyway. So if they can make you feel good and they're willing to, go do it. It's no big deal. No harm, no foul. If everybody's in agreement, do it. No. God says, wait a minute. There's so much more activity going on than you realize. There's spirituality that is involved in the physical sexual relationship. Listen, this is God's word. Don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. See this, what God said in the very beginning, how we become one? Let's keep reading. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Think about it. 
he says it's not a sin against their body it's against your own body why because you are giving them something spiritual that god never intended for them to have and you are giving them something of you you don't even own think about it now wait a minute let's think about our culture there's parts of us everywhere i don't mean that disrespectfully but if you just think about it and and then we're broken and we're empty and we're like why why am i like this why can't i feel whole why isn't my relationship working (laughs) it's because we're all about us and what I need, and how you can fulfill my needs. We're not building up on the principles of God and what He tells us in the Word of God. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body you don't own this it's not yours to just give away it's God's and he will direct you as to whom you should give it to because it's his not yours it's not theirs it's his and it only becomes theirs when God says it's theirs hmm Why do you think he tells us in the word of God, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever? If you're a believer, you never marry an unbeliever. Yeah, but his profile said he's a believer. (laughs) When I asked him, he said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Good enough for me. Let's go hop in the sack. Come on. What does it mean to be a, a believer? What is a Christian? Are they spirit led? Remember the scriptures we were just reading? When God says, if they say they believe and they're not following his teachings, they're a liar. But he said he was a Christian. So what? But she said she follows God. She goes to church. That's good enough. No, it's not. No, it's not. See, that's why we have brokenness. I mean, it's God's word. He's trying to help us. He's the one that made this. So we think we know better. He's the one that made it. He's the one that created this relationship. Why in the world would we think the world knows? Okay. Sex is a spiritual act. It's to be reserved only between a man and a woman in marriage. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with that. I don't care. God says so in his way works. And the reason we're in the position we are today is because we've not followed God's ways. See, when we approach it from God's perspective, sex is not about me. Okay, now let's completely make the spiritual understand things. If sex is a spiritual union, and and we're talking about my body not being my own, and I'm owned by God, then I must understand that the only reason I even have a relationship with God is through surrender to Him in the fullness of my life. And therefore, everything about me depends upon who He is. Now I take that exact example of a relationship with my wife, and if I look at her and I say, everything about who I am exists because of who you are, 
and all my needs are met because of you and through you, because I love you, and I'm here to surrender to you. It's not me saying, I have needs, meet them. You said yes to me, so come on. It's not. It's not the way it's worked. That's not the way the guidelines in the Word of God are. See, we've been led to believe that our sex life is somehow separate from God. I don't know why that the church has been so silent. I grew up in the church. If I said the word sex at the table, I know my mom would have probably had a heart attack. They didn't teach me about this. I never heard a message on sex. Are you kidding me? Never in the church. We didn't have a sex education class in the church. No, we let the schools do that. So we let the schools teach the kids. So you know where I learned about sex? From my friend whose dad had pornography books in his living room. What a great teacher. We already know right now this is all about him and that his wife is nothing more than a sex object to meet his pleasurable needs. So this is the kid that's teaching me about sex when I'm in second grade, third grade, learning from the world the perspectives of this is what a woman's for. She's all about pleasing you everything about her and if she doesn't look like this she can't meet your needs and she doesn't measure up therefore if she doesn't look like this act like this serve like this i'm looking for one that's like that you understand it's not it's not rocket science and so then instead now we're, we're like we're so uncomfortable to talk about this that we're not going to have a conversation like this especially with our kids or with one another in the room come on, are you serious? Like, let's have family dinner. Tonight's topic is going to be sex. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. What does God have to say about it? A lot. But we're just like so nervous and uncomfortable. Just, I know people are uncomfortable today. It's okay. Just relax and be uncomfortable for a little while. It's totally fine. See, it's like, um, because we've learned it from the world, we've learned this, that sex is somehow dirty, risque, it's behind closed doors, it's like all about how you feel. That's how we've learned it. So therefore, even in the church, Christians, we, I mean, I want you to think about this, but not like too much. (laughs) Somehow we have the idea that when we go in the bedroom, God stays in the living room. (laughs) Like, (laughs) see you later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, again, I, that's not to freak you out or anything. It's for us to understand and properly think things through for a minute. Because, see, when we were talking about how when Adam and Eve sinned in the very beginning, they put on the fig leaves and they ran and hid. So they were trying to hide their shame and their nakedness. And God's like, where are you? Come here. What you're doing doesn't work. Are you hearing me, church? God says, I need to fix you. You're broken. You can't fix it. Let me fix it. And so what we've done is we've put sex back here in the closet, hiding in the trees, and when we hear God, we'll run out to him. We won't say, hey, God, come here. I need your help. How many of us have ever prayed and asked God to help me to understand what my sexual role to my spouse is? Think about it. Oh, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm so jacked up. I've got all these things in my head from what I thought I knew. 
what you say is something different. Would you teach me? Show me. God, teach me how to love my wife. Teach me what it means to meet her needs, to make her whole, to make her complete, to make her know that she is loved. I mean, that's what it's all about. Right? I mean, that's so different. And there's no way I can do that. So I'm like, God, I need your help. And God's like, I will help you. I know her. I know her. Let me help you. And so when Dave comes to Kim, God knows her own brokenness of the untrust she had in her own father. The things that she witnessed as a child, things that happened to her. And he says, Dave, you need to love her here in this way. Not like that. Come on. God is amazing because he wants to heal her. He wants to make her whole. Church, it's the same way for the woman with the man. It's no different. Our sex life is not hidden from God. I just want you to know that. And God wants to be helpful, involved, and all about how he made it to be. And it was made holy. We screwed it up. God made it holy. It is a good thing. It is. We need to understand it as something good. Not dirty, not unclean, but we definitely need to relearn it from God's perspective. So let's step into the children part. I'm uh, 56 years old. I've been married to Kim since 1983, so 20 or 36 years this September. We'll be married. We have three sons, and yeah, no. <laughs> Jesus help her. She's amazing. Okay, so let's let's. I want to focus on this real, really important thing because see, as a, I was young and I was called to the ministry, and we began pastoring a church and being married. Um, Kim had a good, uh, um, culturally good family she grew up in, okay? I'm just going to say it that way. I grew up in a um, spiritual church family, but in both of us there was dysfunction and misunderstanding of relationship. My father was never raised by his parents. He was a street kid. He was he had a home, but no upbringing, no understanding of what a relationship means. My mother was, she has, there's family issues, okay? I'll just leave it at that. Same thing over here. So now here's these two kids that are products of this stuff come and find Jesus. We love each other. God says, yeah, you guys should be together. Let's go. So we come into this relationship, her with her brokenness, we with my brokenness, and we come together, and pretty soon we're like, wow, you're messed up. (laughs) It's true. See, because you come into that, and you're like, you have these fantasy ideas about what this is going to be like. First, you think it's not going to be like my parents' relationship, that's for sure. And you think she's going to be everything I think she's going to be. And she thinks he's going to be everything I think, nothing like my parents. And so we come together and we're like, wow, man, you're nothing like I thought you'd be. (laughs) Yeah. And so now we're in this relationship together and we're committed to Jesus. And we're like in this struggle of what is this all about? I didn't understand it. I didn't know. You're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids, family, move on with life. That's all I knew. So we were doing it. And in the midst of this, there's these two broken people 
fighting for identity, worth, and value, and needs, and confusion. And then you bring a kid into the world. And it's like, wow, you thought things were crazy before. Now there's this other person that's demanding time, energy, focus. And what happens oftentimes, church, hear me, we've watched it happen. We recognized it, submitted ourselves to God, and my wife and I worked through this process to not allow the kids to become the focus of the relationship. Because what's happened, and it is widespread in our culture today, that a child becomes our life and relationship. Come on now. You're old, you're smart. By the time you were 13, you didn't care about what your parents thought. You're not with your parents today, and if you are, you need to get out of their house. (laughs) (laughs) This is what God's Word says, that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh, right? Come on. So now they start their own life. Hear me, moms and dads. That means you've got this little window of time to imprint them and send them on their way, but the two of you are supposed to live the rest of your days. And what's happened is our focus has become about the kids because we're so broken and messed up already and things aren't working that it's easy to focus on them because we both love them, so we found common ground. The kid is something we love. Now our calendar, our life, and everything revolves around them. That's messed up. And what happens is they become the focus, and then 18, 19, 20, hopefully by 25, they're gone. And in this process of time, I've changed. I'm not the same. I am not the 20-year-old guy my 19-year-old wife married. Good Lord, no. Thank God. I'm not that guy. And so if the kids have been our focus, and I've been changing... And the kids have been her focus, and she's been changing. The kids leave, and we're living in this house, and I look at her like, who are you? And she's like, I don't know who you are. I know who I am. And all of a sudden, there's this wall that we didn't even realize was there, and the reason why it's there is because we don't have a relationship. And here we are as two cohabitating individuals. And if we're Christians, we already know we can't divorce therefore we're going to cohabitate for the rest of our life and be miserable with a stranger living with me and then I look in the word of God and he says I'm going to make you a helper that's just right for you and I'm like God what went wrong why is it oh because we haven't followed your guide we have we've lost it we've missed it church here's the thing God tells us in his word he has to be above all things in our life God first above your spouse, above your kids, everything in your life, God first. Okay, now hear me through. This is what God says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, all your mind. Love God first, right? Okay, now let's stay with this for a second. The Word of God teaches us in 1 John chapter 4, it says, God is love. God is love. Okay. 
So if I put God first in my life, I am now understanding what love is, for God is love. The only way for me to love my wife is to know God, to have God first in my life. I cannot have love if God is not first in my life. The reason we have the brokenness that we do in culture today is because God's not first in our life. And therefore, if God is not first, then there is an absence of love. There is an emotional feeling. There is a physical attraction. There is a physical relationship. But there is no love. Because without God, there cannot be love. Therefore, the only way for my wife to ever be loved by me is if God is first in my life. And so when God is first and your spouse is second and everybody else behind that, I can now love God, love her, and love everyone else because I have God's priorities in my life and they're in place. That's the way God established it. That's why the Apostle Paul warned us and he said, you can't just go jump in the sack with somebody. You're becoming one with them. There's a spiritual union taking place. There's something about the physical relationship that is spiritual that you don't understand. It's a mystery. Why? Because it's God. It's amazing. So here I am. I'm your pastor. You know, I mean, you may not see me as your pastor. You may be a guest here today, but I'm, I'm saying, like, if this is your church, I'm your pastor. And because I'm your pastor, that means that I hold a position in this church. I hold a position that is an office that is called pastor. Because of that, oftentimes, like some of you introduced me today, and you said, this is Pastor Day. And I shook their hands, greeting them. What you are saying to them is, I recognize this man in this position, in this place. I am not above you. I'm no different than you. I simply hold a position. Okay, and so you, as God ordains in the scriptures, this is biblical, you honor the office of a pastor by honoring the individual who holds it. That's fine. But in the end, I'm no different than you. I'm a man. I'm a human being. I answer to God. And you and I are on equal ground. I'm not above you because I'm your pastor. I'm not. I'm one with you. Okay? All right. So let's see what's going on here as we talk about this. Um, with the position of pastor, there are certain expectations that you have of me. And there are expectations that God has of me. Okay? Now, I'm supposed to live by those guidelines and expectations that God has and that you have. But they have to be biblical. All right? So, what I want to share with you about that, using that illustration and that mindset as we go forward, I want us to understand that when we talk about a husband as the head of the home, we're talking about a God-given position with expectations does not mean he is above. It means he has a position as a leader of a home. Okay? So because when we talk about these things, we get uncomfortable because our culture has taught us that you think you're what? Who says you're that? What makes you think that's who you are in my life? Because you see, culture's taught us it's all about me. God's taught us some things here that we need to learn and understand what he says to us. 
all right? Because a husband is the head of the home, he's not Lord or God. He holds the office that God has given to him with expectations for him to live by. All right, ladies, you, you need to hear me. You should only desire a godly man. Don't settle for a man. He will always let you down and fail you. He will. He has no ability to meet your needs on his own. No man can. The only way a man will ever be right for you or meet your needs is to be a godly man. Again, just because his profile says so doesn't mean he is. The word of God tells us what a man of God is. Let us find out what that is through scripture, okay? Ephesians 5, we're going to read verses that make everybody all cringy and nervous. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're talking about a submissiveness. Everyone in the room, male and female alike, we're talking about a submission right here. Okay, which is a what? Surrender. Okay, so would you guys just surrender right now before we even read what's next? Relax. Just relax. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives, you should submit to your husbands and everything. Oh my goodness, we're all like freaking out like, what the heck? Let's keep reading. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean washed her by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Isn't that interesting that this brought in right here? Ah, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way of Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, God's call is for you to submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord. A surrendering of loving following. We've been talking about the spirit-led life. And as we think about this, ladies, the word of God says to us as believers, as we as believers in the church, everyone, men and women alike, we understand this. We've surrendered to Jesus, right? We've looked to him, we've followed him, and we have committed to be a Christ follower. Ladies, you're supposed to follow the man of God. Did you hear what I just said? Follow the man of God. Just as the church follows Christ, so we follow him in everything. That means that you don't follow your husband into sin. You know, Christ would never lead the church into sin. Therefore, because he is your husband doesn't mean you just do whatever he says. You follow him as the godly leader that he is to be. And in following him, you will be made complete because of what God says. As I look in the word of God and I see what he's telling us, the following of Christ leads me into wholeness. 
Before I met Jesus, I was broken, and I was pursuing things to fill my brokenness. I met Jesus, and I found my wholeness. Okay? Now, some are called to be single. I get it. And that you will find your wholeness in Christ. If you're called to be married, this is your desire, and you're into this relationship, then God says to us in his word, two husbands and wives, it's specific to married couples, people that are going to be married, people that are married. This is what he tells us. You understand that when I said yes to Jesus, that God came and healed my soul. And in that process of being healed, I begin a relationship with him that I mature and grow in, and I'm being made Christ-like as I grow in my relationship with him. Therefore, I am maturing in my faith, becoming more Christ-like. All right, now we're going right back to the scriptures, and it says this, ladies, I want you to understand something, that God says that when you have a marriage based upon his principles and you submit to your husband, there should be greater healing, wholeness, and fullness coming into your life through that relationship. That's the way it's meant by God. That's what he intended for this relationship to do for you. Look, I will bring him a helper that is just right for him, part of one made whole. Therefore, when the physical relationship happens and the union is there and the spiritual healing takes place within each of you together in that relationship and you live life together, ladies, you are becoming more and more full and you are knowing who you are and your identity. You were made for this. That's the way it's intended to be in Scripture. This is not a bad thing. See, the world has said, like, submit to who? Right? But when you look at what God's teaching us, the intended purpose, this is exactly what marriage should do for a woman. It should make you whole and complete. That's what marriage should do for you. Should. Okay? Guys, there, there is no more convicting scripture to read to you that I read for myself than the statement that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right there, it just breaks me. It humbles my heart, and it scares me. And I look at that word, and I'm like, man, here you go, guys. Think about the scripture and what God says to us. The apostle Paul, writing to the church, says this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now I'm thinking again. Let's think about Jesus in the church, right? My love for my wife. Jesus died for me while I was yet a sinner. When I came to him to be forgiven, to enter relationship with him, he didn't say to me, hear me right, you know this. He didn't say, well, do this, this, and this, and then we'll meet somewhere, and I'll see if you're good enough yet. Why don't you prove yourself to me, and once you prove yourself to me, I'll love you. Jesus already met me with his love before he even asked. And so there I was in my brokenness, and Jesus was pursuing me relentless, calling to me, inviting me into relationship. Gentlemen, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. And it's like, Lord, you mean, like, not only am I relentlessly to pursue her with love, my purpose in pursuing her is to make her whole. It's not like, hey, when you do this for me, I'll love you. It's not like, when you show me your love, then I'll commit to you. No. 
Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Therefore, she is the object of my love. The pursuit that I have is to make her whole. My purpose in my existence is to make her complete. That's what Jesus came for. Did you read what it says? That he said that he, he did it to make her a spotless. <laughs> no wrinkles. <laughs> to yourself. Oh, man. So he's like, I'm, I'm not viewing her through any other lens than the way God sees her as the redeemed. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Matthew 20, when Jesus is teaching, he says, calls them together. You know, the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. That's the way the world does it. Listen to me, church. The world always wants you to respect who they are, their position, their authority, their power. The world always wants to use you for their gain. You're nothing but a number to the world. They don't care about you. They care about what you produce for them what you can do for them, how you can meet their needs. And I want you to know that wherever you work, if you died today, someone will have your job tomorrow. You don't matter. You're being used. Let's think about the sexual, physical act then. Let's think about that. See, the world, Jesus is teaching us something here really important. Those in the world are all about having their needs met. The bottom line and what you can do for them. And they're like, here I am. So men and women sometimes will use their authority, their power, their position to take advantage of so that my needs are met. Brokenness. Jesus says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Gentlemen, you want to know what your example is to be a man of God? It's to be a slave and to be a servant. Ladies, it's not hard to submit to somebody like that. See, Jesus told us he's like a servant and a slave doesn't demand payment. They do it because it is their calling and their place. Jesus says, this is your place. I've modeled this for you so that you can understand it. <laughs> Therefore, I'm called to be a servant slave to my wife. Yet I am her leader. Right? That's God's word. So it's not like she's just ordering me around or ringing a bell and I'm supposed to run. No. I am intentionally focusing on meeting her needs. She should never have to ring a bell. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. See, Jesus knew his position. He knew who he was. So he got up. 
from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around them. See, he didn't just tell them what he was supposed to do. He lived it. Moving down to verse number 12. After washing their feet, put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Call me teacher and Lord. You are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Go live it. That's what he says, right? Husbands, there's no greater model for you. You're called to live every day washing the feet of your wife. Wash her feet, man. Do you have a position? Yeah, you're, you're the head of the home. What does that look like? A servant, a slave, someone that doesn't demand, but someone that serves. That's the call of God in our life. Ladies, you want to know who the right man for you is? It's the guy that's ready to wash your feet and wants nothing in return. That's who you're looking for. Don't settle for anyone less. Ladies, don't. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you? Wives, have you submitted your husband as to the Lord? That was a lot less. God's Word, man. Come on. We can't say we're a follower of Christ and not do what He says. Husbands, are you living and loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Oh my goodness, man. Guys, that is like an incredible statement to us. Are you loving her like that? So the next step for us then is if we're still broken and living in this dysfunction and we've got it messed up, the way that it gets fixed is through confession, repentance, change, and doing things differently. The only way we can live differently is to build upon the platform of God's foundation so let's do it from here on out. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, what matters is this moment forward with God and what He wants to do with us. So let's do it. The altar's open. If you need to come and repent, you need to do that. If you need to repent to your spouse, you need to do that. If you need to ask Him to forgive you, then ask them to forgive you. But let's begin anew. Let's begin to understand the call that God has placed upon my life to be who I am called to be as both a male, myself, female for my wife, males and females in this room, this is the call of God on your life. It's not an option. It's not a negotiation. It's what God says. Father, we love you. Thank you for those that have responded, for those that are responding in their hearts. Lord, you know, this is an uncomfortable thing. It's your truth. We pray that your spirit would just touch us in a new and profound way. Lord, we do understand you love us. We want to live in that love. And we understand that love is a commitment. You have committed to us with your very life. We want to love like you. Forgive us for where we've been selfish, self-focused. Forgive us for giving ourselves to people that we don't even know. Lord, from this day forward, we commit our physical relationship 
with our spouse and to our spouse alone. And that God, that it would become a spiritual and holy thing in our life together. Forgive us for the brokenness that it's become. I recognize, Lord, as you do, that some in this room have been abused. Some have been taken advantage of. And they're carrying that wound. You're the healer. We ask you to heal that in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, breathe your healing life over that brokenness and that wound, that neglect. Look, I know where we are, and I'm just holding you for a second longer. I just believe in my spirit here in my heart that God in the prayer that we know that there are people here that have been abused sexually, male and female alike. And you know, like we carry that wound with us and we're trying to heal it. And as we do, we're living in this brokenness. Look, God, <laughs> that is not who you are. That does not have to dictate who you become. He loves you. Today, if you just let that go, God will heal you. Release that from your life. It is not who you are. It has not made you. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be free from that burden and let you know there is healing and wholeness as you grow with Him. Receive that from Him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We give this to you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for being here and being patient through this process of uncomfortableness as we become whole in Him. It's all there for us. Amen. God bless you. Hey, grab some donuts over there on your way out, okay? Have an amazing day. God bless you. Thank you.